there, there are two kinds of businesses. One is called the blue ocean, the other is called the red ocean. So the red ocean is the ocean that is red with the blood of the cutthroat competition that is around over there. And that's why it's called the red ocean. The blue ocean is a fresh ocean where there are no, there is no competition and therefore there is no blood and therefore uh, you have a free market. So you can be an entrepreneur in either a red ocean or a blue ocean depending upon what you're wanting to do. But the primary definition of an entrepreneur is a person who disrupts an industry. Not unlike a terrorist, but disrupts in a good way, shows people how to do what to do. Hello and welcome to another episode of Juice with Jaggi. My name is Ankit and I hope everyone is safe and sound. On this episode, I have with me someone who has quite an interesting educational background. He studied English literature, he studied political science, he studied psychology and he's also studied ancient classical Latin vocabulary. His name is Dhruv Sharma and he's currently the CEO and founder of Logophilia Education, which is the world's first and only etymology education institution. Logophilia is also into public speaking, where they help you become the best version of yourself. On this episode, we discuss about his journey into etymology, how he got interested into it that led him to create his own company. We also talk about how important it is for any company or any business to continuously keep on evolving, especially in times like these. We talk about the true meaning of entrepreneurship and how important it is for an individual to keep on continuously learning so that they are always one step ahead of others. So let's get on with the episode. So welcome to the podcast and thank you so much for Thanks, doing Ankit. this. Thanks, Ankit. Hi, everybody. Uh, so, Zuf, before I start talking about your education, right? I think a lot of people would, would be very curious to understand and to know what etymology actually means and how important that is in our lives. So I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to answer this in an anecdotal fashion and see if this makes sense. So this was this is the year 2010. I'm going to bring you back to 2010. This is the summer of 2010. I had just come back from um, Ireland where I had gone to study Latin. And I, was, I found myself jogging in the Alfred Park, which is one of the uh, good ones that yeah. we have in Allahabad. And the Alfred Park, a lot of people uh, may just call it a garden. That's that's the regular way of saying it. Um, the Alfred Park is actually an arboretum, which means that it's a tree garden. Now, that comes from the Latin word arbor, which means tree. It's an arboretum. It's not just a garden. It's not just a rose garden or a flower garden. It's a tree garden, which means that it will have botanical names of the trees written right there. So I was jogging. And I saw the name uh, Ficus religiosa written on a people tree. Now, I had just studied Latin and I, I, it immediately came back to me that Ficus, F-I-C-U-S, mm -hmm. Ficus, actually is the Latin word for fig. Fig in Hindi yeah. is called Anjir. So I was like, why is the people tree called Ficus? This is not an Anjir mm -hmm. tree. But my curiosity made me approach the tree, so I went closer to it. And when I when I went there, I noticed that around the tree there were lots of um, fig seed like seeds scattered all mm -hmm. over the place. 
and my mind was blown because if anybody understands um, India, one of the most important trees that we have is the people tree for a large number of uh, spiritual, mythological reasons. And my school did not even do that much to tell me about one of the most important trees about India that is actually a branch of Anjir as a family. And what branch of Anjir? It is the religious fig. So Ficus religiosa literally translates into the religious fig. And then you can, whenever you walk out onto the streets Mm -hmm. of India, whenever the lockdown is done, you can observe that every Saturday people come and uh, they they light lamps under a people tree because they worship the people tree. So it's the religious fig. My mind was blown because um, I did not need a book to tell me that much. Just the fact that I knew the word ficus from Latin and I could understand religiosa on my own, just that little chabi, that little key that I got from knowing a language uh, and the most important language for science, if I may add. Um, So that told me so much without reading a book. Now, the, the anecdote goes on from there. It doesn't stop. It gets better. So, I continue jogging, but now a little uh, well, well, continuing to ponder at the same point of time. And I come into uh, another tree and I, I, I see I see that one says um, that this one is a Banyan tree. And this one says Ficus Bengalensis. Ficus Bengalensis. So, again, Anjir. And what kind of Anjir? Bengali Anjir. Bengalensis or Bengali? So because at the time when the British were here, um, the Bengalis were one of the most um, erudite uh, sectors of the Indian society. And they used to have uh, enjoy uh, positions of prominence and people like Rabindranath Tagore and their influence. And of course, the British were here for two, yeah. 200 years. So obviously, Tagore was not the only one. But they, they had a very loud voice. And therefore, the term Bengalensis will be found very often used almost synonymously with um, the other term for India, which is Indica. Mm. So when, when, whenever peop- scientists want to talk about something that is of Indian origin, you will find that they either use Bengalensis or they use Indica. So when they want to, for example, talk about the Indian mango, they would say Mangifera Indica, which means literally the Indian mango. But in this case, this was... Ficus bengalensis, which mean meaning Bengali fig. Um, so banyan, another such a such a such a, a tree of such great importance, and I did not know that this was Anjir. So what that did to me was, of course, not only validate the three hundred thousand rupees that I had spent on my Latin degree, but it also told me how important and how powerful etymology was. I did not need a teacher. I did not need a book. Most importantly, I did all of this analysis within about two or three minutes. I didn't need a teacher. I didn't need a book. I didn't need time to facilitate learning. And I thought that was completely incredible. Now, I wish that uh, the story was as romantic as I'm making it sound. I wish that this had been the reason why I had started Logophilia. This is not why I started Logophilia. So I started Logophilia because... um, and trust me, I will come back to telling you what etymology is. But um, I had started Logophilia because um, I was I was asked by somebody to teach vocabulary to a bunch of kids who wanted to do the GRE. And um, as soon as I um, stepped into the classroom in about an hour, I had exhausted everything that I had to say. 
so i had already i already had nightmares about what i would be doing in the next class because i had no clue what, what was going to happen i ran to the local bookshops i picked up every book on vocabulary that i could find and um, at the end of it i discovered that just about every single book was using either greek or latin somewhere or the other and i used to think that my elders used to always use this expression saying whenever they didn't understand something they would say it's either greek it's is greek and latin to me which means i can't understand it and yet all the vocabulary books are using both greek and latin and when you tell me the greek and latin parts of it it becomes so much easier to understand it which means that that phrase is actually bad for society if things were greek and latin it would be easy to understand because that's the easy part and therefore we come into etymology because i discovered that i had this ability of being able to teach a thousand words to anyone above class 8 i could teach a thousand words to anybody above class 8 within about 2 hours and that miracle this is nothing short of a miracle and this is not a special ability that i have this is no yeah. thanks to me this is thanks to etymology which is the study of the origin of words so now we finally come right. to it etymology yeah. is the study of the origins of words and um, etymology has existed as long as old uh, as long as language itself mm. so there's an etymology of hindi there's an etymology of chinese there's an etymology of urdu there's an etymology of english there's an etymology of absolutely every language because etymology is yeah. basically going to look at where the language comes from or where specifically the word comes from right yeah so um when i started teaching vocabulary to these gre aspirants mm-hmm. i i very quickly escalated to becoming the the best paid english teacher in the city yeah. and i started doubting my credentials as an am i even qualified to do this i mean i'm sure that i've created a market and i'm sure that there are people willing to pay me 1000 rupees an hour for just this and i'm 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 basically just a 23 year old uh, mm-hmm. with no experience in linguistics just 15 books in my hand and uh, yeah. and calling myself a teacher so i i started googling mm-hmm. and i i wanted to study i wanted to pick up a, an etymology program i wanted to get certified mm-hmm. and very quickly i figured out that there was absolutely nothing there even today were it not for this black t-shirt that i'm wearing there's absolutely nothing there that can actually give you a classroom based dedicated etymology program in on the planet anywhere yeah. and it i what i realized was that it had given me magic goggles mm-hmm. you can't see them i'm i'm still wearing them i could see that my eyes mm-hmm. could see more i yeah. could see that every single day um i think uh, i think A, a couple of thousand people walk around or run around th- those trees that i noticed mm-hmm. and they must have stood there and read fikus religious and said yeah. Ah, yeah. and walked on my <laughs> eyes yeah. could see more because i knew yeah. more so right. i went on to uh, to develop this belief mm-hmm. and that belief is called you can only know as much as you can know Mm-hmm. because i believe that some people can know more than other people by virtue yeah. of their exposure correct that was 10 years ago i took mm-hmm. it upon myself 10 years ago to use my special ability to be mm-hmm. able to make schools easy 
for everyone to be able to work on the can know part for everyone yeah. so based on the background that you have based on the subjects that you studied right uh, i think we've already, we've already had this conversation as well that uh, we could have very easily gotten a career into counseling or therapy or become a therapist or a counselor especially in the us right where <clears throat> if you talk about the salaries yeah uh, that is of course at par with the best surgeons or the best doctors that are there right true but why didn't you go for that what made you still stick to your passion that was etymology that was vocabulary why did you not let's say did you even think about uh, even considering that career option even once before i found logophilia i obviously was thinking of various things and various possibilities i had at one point mm-hmm. of time even considered electronic journalism because i think i speak well but um i think the answer lies in the word that you used ankit and i think the word that you used was passion and i think mm-hmm. that's not a word that should be used lightly so uh, once you discover your passion yeah it fills you up with it fills you up with um, a feeling of just very straightforward blind faith a uh, passion does not do very well with rationality it just mm-hmm. builds upon you and it stays with you and it yeah. stays with you to the extent that you um, you don't really question it for a while so i think the mm-hmm. the first i don't know one and a half or two years of logophilia nobody was talking about revenue nobody was in when i say nobody i had 10 people working with me these were interns i don't know where they yeah. came from i don't know how they they did not <laughs> even put out a not even as much as a facebook post saying there is something called the logophilia internship program yeah, yeah yeah but there was nobody asking for a salary because everybody was just very 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 fascinated mm-hmm. by the sheer possibilities that lay ahead i mean this was like if you if you i don't know if this is a good analogy to give but I think this is how I don't know maybe Mark Zuckerberg would have felt when he when he told um his um, head of finance that we don't know what this is right now and we're not sure yeah. whether we should put a price to it. So yeah. I had the rare privilege of of uh, riding with a bunch of people who sort of had the same blind faith as I did that this mm-hmm. is something worth doing and mm-hmm. well yeah here we are 10 years into the scene and still the only etymology organization in the world and still having the same fun that's true so talking yeah. about uh, logophilia talking about the company right uh, how do you ensure yeah. that you keep on constantly evolving the company the vision uh, because i know the times are changing right uh, you you would never have imagined that you would be at a point where you're locked down for a month at home you you can't go to office you can't go you can't even go out of your house right mm. and uh, with all these changing times i don't know what is in store for us 2020 has as anyways been interesting here till now right but we don't know what's what's sort of new or what's in store for us going forward right how do you ensure at logophilia that the company and the vision the product uh, what you're teaching keeps on constantly evolving yeah so i'm going to answer that by picking up a book um So this is a book which is called the, this is the first book that Logophilia ever wrote. This is called the Fundamental Etymology Workshop. Okay. This exists in two versions. One is a workshop and the other is of course a book. Mm-hmm. Uh this book I think has 246 pages. Let me see. Uh No, I'm sorry. We've evolved. We now have 265 pages. 
This book yeah. is into its thirtieth revision. Okay. Over the past ten years, we've yeah. done at least three revisions a year of this book, which is the mm-hmm. first book. Right. Now that would be possible. That would be difficult to do, even if this was the only book that we had written. Mm-hmm. We've actually written thirteen more. Okay. So we've written a total of fourteen books. Yeah. And this one is into its thirtieth edition. Yeah. Which means mm-hmm. that we. are nothing if we are not an evolving organization we evolve on a daily basis we evolve on principle we mm-hmm. uh so one of the things that that we are very proud of is that we had to um originally i had no mentors for for at least um, for at least the first 5 or 6 years i had no credible mentors that i could look up mm-hmm. to and go to advice for um there were times when i missed them and there were times when i was very proud and almost um, negatively arrogant about the fact that um, i'm saying negatively arrogant because i don't believe that arrogance is a bad thing um yeah. negatively arrogant about the fact that we run independently but uh, yeah we used to evolve on purpose saying there will not be a single day when we're not going to do something better every time somebody comes back into logophilia they should not mm-hmm. be able to recognize this place in the best possible sense there is no other way of living i suppose i mean if you don't evolve then you develop pond mm-hmm. scum then yeah. the same pond that people used to the kids used to hang around now nobody wants to look at you because you're just completely done so um, in its first edition this book did not look like this in its 30th edition it looks like that in its 31st edition it's not going to look like this yeah. and um, i mean it was only yesterday that uh, we were taking out time i'm stretching out for something that i want to show you we were yeah. taking out time to um, well evolve the way just 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 a small little way in which mm-hmm. we send out proposals to people now proposals are things that uh, most of our clients have been accused of not mm-hmm. even reading we get very angry that we send you such lengthy proposals you don't even yeah. read them they practically yeah. find uh, the phone call sales pitch good enough they never read the proposal and therefore we end up losing out just yeah. yesterday um mm-hmm. i completed a 3 day hibernation period where i mm-hmm. evolved uh, the logophilia proposals mm-hmm. from whatever it used to be to this and this is a 10 page system wherein mm-hmm. everything that we write has gone yeah. on to look like it should in 2020 i don't know if this is clear but that's it what is. it looks like right now and of course this is sense yeah. for me to try and show you a dirty print out of what this should be this is actually a color document and um, we love designing we i completely love designing yeah. and i want it to be exactly the way it should be because well your organization and the way you run it uh, represents mm-hmm. the work that you do and i have far too much respect for logophilia to allow it to develop ponds come so yeah not on my watch of course of course uh in terms of branding right i think mm-hmm. the cover letter the proposal was a very good example of how important uh branding is right how how have you evolved uh in terms of branding logophilia as a as an etymology as, a, as an etymology education institution right to a point where of course we also talk about the future of logophilia that you have in mind right but how do you sort of go from what it was maybe in 2014 to now and then the future in terms of the branding aspects an organization needs 
very tall brand management to be able to uh, retain mindshare uh, in in the market mm-hmm. because sad as it may be books are judged by their covers and in this world of 7.3 billion people with a very significant percentage of these people being uh, business people trying to sell something um there are a large number of people to say it modestly let's just say it humbly there are a large number of people asking for people's mind space yeah. on it's 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 a survival of a fit, of the fittest scenario and only the best looking can draw somebody inside mm-hmm. and say crawl into my parlor and see how beautiful it is so i had gone in for printing mm-hmm. um we used to we used to have a printing press in nani which is the largest um, printing press of alabama yeah. and that's called the joseph printing yeah. press and i was walking out of the joseph printing press with a, a set of dossiers mm-hmm. that had been printed and somebody was walking by this 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 actually happened with me not even one of the other people happened with mm-hmm. me so there was somebody walking by and said uh, excuse me ye aapke hath mein uh, is this logophilia and i said ji 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 he said do you work in logophilia i said uh, i own logophilia <laughs> so he said what nonsense are you talking logophilia is an american organization you must be at best a lowly employee over there this is the funniest moment that i had at that point of time this guy refused <laughs> to believe <laughs> I don't know whether that was to do with the fact that I was shabbily dressed or whether it was that he had a bias but we've always believed in the power of branding and what what things stand out so when we for example decided to launch into let me reach out to this because this is still not stolen mm-hmm. um we decided to make flashcards vocabulary flashcards yeah. and we decided to go for nothing nothing short of the best press of asia now this of course is a tall claim and they are the ones that make it I think there's also a design publication magazine that that backed it up. So the best press of Asia is a press called the Thomson Press, and they are based out of Delhi. Yeah. And when we asked them to make flash flashcard boxes, well, they made us this. And uh, this um, one of the things that you will notice over here is that this opens up like a um, see. I'm having to put in a little bit of effort <laughs> because this opens up like an iPhone. And what you find inside is something as cool as that. Yeah. so we are very strongly insistent on design standards and um, we're practically a design company i mean in case uh, i i very often feel tempted to start uh, designing shaadi cards and stuff because i i, I think we we were practically yeah. halfway already there I, yeah yeah maybe maybe hang myself first and then uh, do that but, but <laughs> Well, I love designing. I can get immersed in designing. There is, a, I, I think, I think the pandemic is a good thing. Please forgive me for my crudeness. I'm extremely sorry for the loss of the lives that have happened. But I think for Logophila, the pandemic is a good thing because it's giving us the opportunity to not just, well, redesign our design standards, mm-hmm. and give gives me a lot of time to go through uh, vector graphic tutorials and stuff and upgrade my skills. Mm-hmm. but also gives us the opportunity to redesign the way we talk about logophilia yeah. when you're a person as passionate as i am i i consider myself to be a fairly passionate mm-hmm. person the world deserves to see that the world deserves to see how how somebody can go ahead and invent their own job at the age of 27 yeah. and still after having done it for a decade still find it as meaningful to wake up in the morning and say i have a world to change and 
get out of my way you're wasting my time yeah so yeah i think i think uh, branding is important not just in terms of logos book cover designs or instagram handles mm-hmm. i think branding is a much larger term that comes into play with how an organization uh, represents itself and therefore um, that's that's why we never ask somebody to go to logophilia.in because <laughs> i think it does not represent us and i'm saying this with a very straight face that website should not be visited go check out logophilia.in right now to understand what i mean so why are you not changing it i think i think i think uh, we're not changing it because we want to um, very quickly be able to announce to the world that logophilia it's been overdue for us logophilia needs to come up with an app i think we are restricting ourselves to the classroom model i'm thrilled because of the pandemic mm. because it's forcing us to stay outside the classroom yeah. we are crying yeah. right now for for uh, well economic and gratification reasons mm-hmm. um economic because we're not going to get paid this year possibly and that's the best uh, punishment that should be given to people who don't recession proof their businesses uh, and we by the way are not are not an invested organization we are a bootstrapping organization so we're going to be uh, surviving and paying our salaries on last year's revenues yeah. which is a very small amount there's nothing fancy going on in monetary terms in logophilia i'm saying that on video because i believe in logophilia as a concept not or not just as a balance yeah. sheet but the other reason that we are crying is that we genuinely like our classes like is a small word we love our classes yeah. and talking a bit more about the sort of the hats that you've donned over the years right of course you started logophilia uh, you are the founder you are the ceo you are sort of the, the product person you have you built out the the classroom be or in the end exactly right? you you built out the classroom material you do design you do marketing you do sales everything right so be i think talking about entrepreneurship as a whole uh, one thing that i learned quite recently from you uh, as well is that my understanding of entrepreneurship was much more focused on someone who's who's building something from the ground up right that was for me who an entrepreneur is but you actually talked about the difference between an entrepreneur a business owner and a business operator so uh, let's assume if i go ahead and start my retail shop let's say i'm selling clothes why why yes. would i not be considered considered an entrepreneur uh, well i'll need to ask yourself uh, ask you as to what is the industry disruption that you're bringing to the clothes that you're selling are you selling the clothes in a different way are you selling a different kind of clothes are you have you come up with a different model are you now renting clothes somehow <laughs> are you doing something differently i mean um, um an entrepreneur is a person so there are three kinds of people so i could be if i was a classically wealthy guy which clearly i'm not look 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 right you're not a wealthy person i say that with uh, minimal resentment and lots of sarcasm humor um if i was a classically wealthy guy if i came from mm-hmm. money uh one of the things that i would be looking for would be investment options so i could uh, so for example uae mm-hmm. um, um i I think one of the princes. I don't know. I I don't remember the name of the prince, but UAE now owns the biggest mall of London, which is called Harrods. Okay. So uh, um, Jeff Bezos is supposed to be the wealthiest person on the planet, but um, there are lots of people who contradict that and say that uh, if you look at some of the royals, uh, their wealth is so divested that you can't even begin to consolidate. the amount of wealth that they have yeah. and therefore jeff bezos is very easy to well estimate because you have one source yeah. of wealth yeah. or is he is a taxpayer let's just call him a exactly. taxpayer so uh, uae owns harrods it's a it's a london based mall but they own it mm-hmm. so that's a business owner now uae is not disrupting anything when it comes to harrods yeah 
if I was a business owner, that's the person I would be. I would put in money into something and then forget about it. Hire a good manager maybe or hire an organization that helps me recruit the best managers mm-hmm. and just basically watch my money grow. That's a business yeah. owner. A business operator is the kind of guy that you're looking at. So the business operator is the person who runs every aspect of his business. Mm-hmm. Uh, this kind of a business model is... Uh, Actually, it's not a business model, it's a malfunction. Uh, this kind of business malfunction is called the spider model okay. in which uh, there's one head and everybody else who's attached to that head is basically the legs of the spider. Okay. And if you cut off if you cut off the head, all the legs fall off because this is the guy that you well celebrated as your MVP, most valuable yeah. player. Not, not minimum viable product, most valuable yeah. player. And uh, now suddenly if this head is gone, everything is gone. But uh, a business operator can uh, can be of two kinds. One, you can be a business operator of uh, of an entrepreneur kind, and second, you can be a business operator of a non uh, entrepreneur yeah. kind. So there there are two kinds of businesses. One is called the blue ocean. The other is called the red ocean. Mm-hmm. So the red ocean is the ocean that is red with the blood of the cutthroat competition that is around over there. Yeah. And that's why it's called the red ocean. The blue ocean is a fresh ocean where there are no, there is no competition, and therefore there is no blood, and therefore uh, you have a free market. Yeah. yeah. Right. So you can be an entrepreneur in either a red ocean or a blue ocean, depending upon what you're wanting to do. But the primary definition of an entrepreneur is a person who disrupts an industry, not like a terrorist, but disrupts in a good way, shows people. Mm-hmm how to do what to do uh, so for example um, steve jobs did not really invent the pc mm-hmm. the people at uh, <coughs> xerox yeah. did that yeah but he showed the world and he showed the people at xerox what you could do with the computer that's true and he sold it for them that that that's what makes a person an entrepreneur yeah. similarly um, i mean if you look at uh, something as um, I, I've been very fascinated with um, with, a, with a with a with a set of bottles called Swell bottles. Okay. So Swell bottles uh, is run by a by a solopreneur. And again, again, solopreneur uh, by the name of Sarah uh, Sarah Kaus, mm-hmm. and uh, she's a person who studied business at the Harvard Business okay. School, and she found herself um, not believing in plastic bottles, water bottles. She uh, she was tormented by how they impact the society Mm -hmm. so she found herself taking a recyclable bottle she found herself carrying an actual water Mm -hmm. bottle to her Ernst and Young fancy office and she found herself feeling very embarrassed about well putting her old reused roughed up no design nothing fancy bottle on her desk yeah so she uh, went on to quit her job as uh, one of the accountants at Ernst and Young and she invested 30,000 US dollars of her own money Mm -hmm. To bring out um, a tri-layered bottle, which can keep cold water cold for 24 hours and hot water hot for 12 hours. Mm -hmm. And she created something called Swell Bottles. And Swell Bottles became the number one uh, market shareholders in reusable bottles across the Mm -hmm. world. They started getting attention from Hollywood celebrities and their Instagram started blowing up. Uh, she found Howard Schultz and Howard Schultz agreed to well keep her bottles as the center. Yeah. 
piece of his Christmas campaign. And of course, you can read all about well bottles. But that's what an entrepreneur does. An entrepreneur comes into the market and says, this is not how you do something. Mm -hmm. This is how you can do it slightly yeah. better. So when Elon Musk comes and tells us that we don't need to have well, petroleum-based fuel running cars, combustion engines are stupid, let's have electric cars. Mm -hmm. Or when he comes up to you and says that rocket travel, space travel does not need to be expensive, that you can build reusable yeah. rockets, that's an entrepreneur. And therefore, when you ask me that question, if you were selling clothes, would that make you an entrepreneur or not? The answer does not come immediately. I just need to ask you, what disruption are you bringing about makes sense makes sense yeah i think even the examples that you gave right sort of gives a more clear idea about the actual difference between let's say if i am now starting a new business that uh, might be the yeah. you might have competitors around right i might be opening up that business in the same space as they are right but i'm not doing anything yeah. new i'm not i'm not bringing anything unique from my side that might uh, you know sort of set me apart from my other competitors or there's for example now if, right. if i was selling clothes uh when you could just uh you know come in try on try them on virtually maybe i don't know i'm just i mean putting out ideas there now that would be a new thing sure. right? that that would be a disruption in the market because that's not there one more thing that i one more thing that i wanted to add over yeah. here is that the disruption can happen at multiple levels mm -hmm. ankit so it the uh, one obvious level that comes to mind is that the product could be disruptive. Yeah. The way you market it could also be disruptive. True. You see, there could be there was there was a person. I think I think this is a Nike story. Okay. So um, now this is not a very good example, but the 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 analogy is going to fit into what I'm trying mm -hmm. to say. So um, I think it was Nike that wanted to find market share in India mm -hmm. at the time when. Uh, uh, I could be wrong about the chronology of events here, so please forgive me about that. Please go to Business Casual. It's a wonderful, wonderful uh, entrepreneurship um, uh, video series that happens on YouTube, Business Casual. They do a great job. 10-minute videos about every business. Um, but I think it was Nike and the market manager, marketing manager was sent over to India when they got to hear that they are liberalizing the economy and that it's, it's going to become open to international mm -hmm. business. The marketing manager came to India. He saw that there were so many people walking bare feet. Yeah. He went back to uh, Nike's offices and he said, there is no market for Nike. Leave alone Nike. There's no market for shoes. Those people walk yeah. around bare feet. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they ended up firing him and they sent another marketing manager. And this, um, this marketing manager came back and says, there's no market, not just for Nike. There's market for all shoes because nobody's wearing shoes over there. Mm. So I think it's not just the product. I think it's also marketing um, your ability to innovate how you talk about something. I think I'll go back to the Steve Jobs example. Yeah. I think uh, the people at Xerox never wanted to market the computer to more than a two, more than maybe I think the classical number is 2000 mm -hmm, people. Mm -hmm. And Steve Jobs said this belongs in every household. Yeah. So the way you market something is also there. Uh, I think you can also be innovative about the business model that you follow. So, so um, for example, I love, I completely adore a software, a vector graphic software called CorelDRAW. Mm -hmm. I am not, I am not an Illustrator person. I will take CorelDRAW any day over Illustrator. It's a fantastic it is, software. It is, yeah. And um, those, it's just that it's, it's been so old that it um, i think even illustrator for that matter both these giants mm -hmm. for some reason they don't have a freemium model yeah 
So if you wanted to buy a Coral Draw license, it will cost you 71,000 rupees. Hmm. That's true. Which is almost a thousand dollars. Right now in the recession, they're giving a 50% off, but even then it's extremely expensive. And in a, in having lived in an age where pirated software was everything. <laughs> That's true. Um, it, I mean, so why not put some blood into the taste palettes of people, give them a sample of what you can look yeah. like. I think, I think even that, if somebody comes up with a vector software with Coral Draw level capacity mm -hmm. and opens it out with, uh, with an innovative business model, I think even that can be called an entrepreneur, not just the product, really. Yeah. And another thing, uh, I think from, from you personally, I've also learned and something that I've, I have been following for a very long time uh, after school, after college, right, is continuous learning. Uh, for me personally, when I started working, so I, I'm from a software background, I, I work for a tech company. Uh, continuous learning was extremely important for me to be able to grow in my organization, right? Because uh, you have, of course, some sort of set of responsibilities, some set of tasks that you're supposed to do. But if you don't keep on continuously learning at your job, at your work or whatever you're doing, even, even something that is extremely uh, opposite to what you do for a profession, maybe. Right? For example, this podcast for me is something that is completely different from what I do professionally. Right. I am a, I, I code for life, right? But uh, for, for money or for as a profession, but podcasting is something that was completely different, something that I was uh, interested in and just wanted to try out. And just based on the conversations I've had with different people, it sort of even helps me grow as a person. It helps me grow as a person who can understand different types of professions, different types of skill sets, different types of mindsets, thinking, right? And I've grown, of course, uh, this, is the, this is the fourth episode I'm recording. Right. So uh, I think I, I mean, even with the four episodes, I've learned a lot from different kinds of people. Right. So and this is something that you have also talked about in an upcoming vlog series. It's called Don't Sweat It. It's not released yet. Of course, uh, it's uh, I've, I've, I've had the pleasure of watching it uh, that you're planning to release soon on YouTube. But it's, it's the same thing where you talk about, you know, the continuous learning aspect, whatever you're doing. Uh, be it a day, be it a week. If you haven't learned something, it could be a new skill. It could be as yes. tiny as maybe something about uh, some, even even a single statistic, right? That you did not know before it, right? Uh, I think that's that's a huge win, right? And that, that I see a lot of people actually stop learning after school or college. One once you get into work, okay. yeah. Once you get into profession, I, for some reason, I uh, people just stop doing that because they feel comfortable that okay, we are in a comfort zone. Hey, this is I, I already know I already have the skills that I'm supposed to do that can give me money and uh, you know I, I can feel happy about it and I just stop learning right now I want to hear about your thoughts on that yeah so um, first up um, I uh, I experience a lot of um, angst and anger and disappointment when I see the the number of people who want to look for social security as their first aim in life. So I know a very large number of people whose parents want them to become IAS officers. And uh, I went ahead and when I had to take this, I was a good student, uh, apparently. And uh, before Logophilia, I say apparently because this was all before Logophilia. I don't give credit to my school for uh, the knowledge that I have. I give Logophilia. I loved my school, by the way. And, um, I. Uh, adored 23 out of the 25 teachers that taught yeah. me because of which I wanted to become a teacher. Mm -hmm. So I was one of those people that had 
I don't know, I'm going to take the liberty of saying the last good generation of teachers, teachers who wanted to become teachers mm -hmm. for the sake of teaching, not because they did not find any other yeah. job. Yeah. But these are still teachers uh, who are working within their own constraints and they could not prevent me from becoming a top-notch memorizer. I was insanely good at memorizing. I could memorize an entire book, by yeah. the way. So, um, yeah, I know a large number of people uh, who want their children to become IS officers mm -hmm. when they grow up because that is social security of the highest kind that India offers. Yeah, yeah. And um, when I was to take that decision, a lot of people were pushing me saying, you're a good student. Why, why are we even talking about something else? Mm -hmm. You're a good student who's gone ahead and studied uh, uh, psychology. You had the first rank in Delhi University. Why are we talking about anything else? This is such a commonplace yeah. thing. Fortunately, these people were not my parents. Fortunately, my parents were open-minded enough not to bring that mm. up. Enough. They did bring it up once or twice. Yeah. Never, never really insisted yeah. on it. To a lot of people, it was just the most commonsensical thing to do. So what I did instead mm. was, I, I had the presence of mind to go and uh, well interview certain IS officers. I had access to some okay. and I went to them. Mm -hmm. And these are some of the things that I heard from them, which helped me take my decision. Yeah. And one of the one of the worst things that I heard from them was um, was that an IS officer, and of course, this cannot be a truism. Mm -hmm. This is just the opinion of one yeah. guy. Yeah. But I think it's a significant mm -hmm. opinion. Uh, this person said that an IS officer, the last time an IS officer works hard is right before the day of the last IS interview, which is called the mains interview. Okay. That is the last time that they work hard. That is, it's very difficult to get inside. But once you're inside, it's all it's all green pastures from there. Now, that's a blanket statement that may not be true. I don't envy the job of any IS officer because I cannot imagine myself receiving orders from yeah. um, semi-literate politicians who want to make money off the system and want to drive me to Nagaland as a punishment for not well becoming a part of that system. Yeah. So I don't know how these people survive. But um, I, I don't find it hard to agree with this person when he said that. Uh, so when I, when, I, when, I, when I heard that person saying, um, I sort of corrected that sentence in my head. Mm -hmm. And I said the last time an IS officer studies yeah. or learns yeah. stuff consciously out of, um, from their own volition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that would be the IS exam. So after that, it is uh, industry mandated thing. And of course, you can't make a generalized statement. But but that the other thing that another IS officer told me, which again uh, helped me take my decision, was that you become a very useful person just for not for yourself. Mm -hmm. You have people getting things attested. You have people calling you up saying, "Hamara railway reservation karado, get us a the ticket on that train. Yeah. Uh, ask somebody to pull a favor for me." Uh, you get very useful for politicians. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You're just not useful for yourself because at the end of the day, you're running a system that you don't believe in. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I, I was very intrigued by this one IS officer who who was pursuing a PhD in physics alongside running his IS job. Wow. I was like, wow, so why didn't you just become a, a professor? That Wouldn't that be? In, and he said, Dhruv, I, I envy the job that you do because I wish I could just do that. I've been, uh, um, I've gotten so accustomed to the perks of this IS thing mm -hmm. 
that my i know that my family is going to suffer if if the if the orderlies were to be taken away the servants would go in the big bungalows and the in the absence of of uh, queues long line queues waiting periods in my life was to be taken yeah. away he said he was honest enough to say that his family would suffer mm. so I, that that's not freedom that's not social security that's social slavery uh, just to put it very very bluntly i don't like to mince my words so yeah. um that helped me take my decision very 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 straightforwardly and um, i wanted to be a teacher mm-hmm. just did not want to work in a school just did not want to work in a university where i would be yes sirring to a person just for that sake of that promotion so i i had enough blind faith to charge ahead and make a job and well here we are uh, on that note that finally that finally brings us to the end of the episode joseph uh, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts it's been a pleasure akit thank you so much uh, for all the listeners and the viewers if you want to follow logophilia if you feel this is something that you're interested in something that you want to know more about follow logophilia on all the social media media handles i would link them down in the episode description uh, logophilia education is available on youtube instagram facebook twitter as well uh, and also if you want to learn more about etymology and get better at public speaking please enroll yourself in one of the programs If you still have any more questions uh, for Zuf uh you can just email it to me tweet at me or even just message him directly if you're using the anchor app you can just use the voice messages feature and drop a voice message there in there itself and I'll uh, I'll of course ask Zuf to answer those questions for you of course he won't be able to answer all your life questions but at least he'll be able to answer some of them uh that you might have uh and if you have any more feedback on the podcast on the type of guests I should invite Right, please feel free to drop me an email to you know all my you know the drill you, you know all my social media handles you can do that thanks so much ankit for having me on your thank show thank you so much i think dude. it's a wonderful show on that note uh, thanks, guys ankit. guys stay safe stay healthy this is jaggi signing off